Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Paul, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. So nice to confess. <laughs> welcome. Except <laughs> it, we're all confessing. I'm not the like, right. <laughs> like it's both of us. We're all just doing the best we can. We are <laughs> a life of repentance and change. Exactly. Exactly. I'm just have a microphone. That's the only difference. <laughs> so your book, The Broken Miracle came out like two months ago. Congratulations. Thanks. And it's not my book. Uh, J.D. Netto, who's a fantasy writer, wrote the story. Uh, he was a fan of my music all these years. And we became friends. And I was like, man, if, if anyone ever told my story, I, I, I would love you to do it. And he took me up on that. Yeah. And so he, he, I gave him my journals. You don't give people your journals, you know, it's like, uh, no, you burn them. <laughs> you burn them. You burn them. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I wrote. You try to lock right. them up. But I had kept meticulous journals and uh, he was the first person to actually read those. And so he created fictional characters based on my insane, miraculous life where God has constantly just had my back. Yeah. In the darkest moments and in the greatest moments. And so, yeah, the broken miracle is that's my story, but fictionalized so that he could have the liberty to say some things he needed to say. I, I would still say it's your book. Like, if it's your story, <laughs> I would still say it. Me, I'd be like, if you provided, like, meanwhile, most people have like their designated friend that's like, if I die, you burn my journals, right? Yeah. Like, you're like, yeah. here, write a book with it. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. There's no pictures. <laughs> yeah. No, it's pretty cool. It's very sobering and, yeah. and crazy that somebody would want to tell your story, you know? Well, tell us a little bit of your story. I know some of your backstory, but I want to hear it from you. You know, I don't know why God gave me the life he's given me. It's a roller coaster of chaos and joy because I came into this world with only half a heart and in 1973, kids born with congenital heart disease, which is the number one cause of infant-related deaths, you know, Matt Hammett, lead, former lead singer of Sanctus Real, his son has, has the problem. When I came in, like nobody was living or mm. surviving. My parents, deeply committed to each other, always put God in the center of their relationship. They just celebrated 55 years together. And that's the best. I mean, they should be writing the book on it, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, they thought, well, we'll survive. We're just going to escape the eight children we, we raised. Yeah, it was just this crazy time. And uh, miraculously, they prayed. They asked God for help. And God gave them a miracle. Mm. I was able to have a surgeon that knew what to do. God had given him knowledge, education. And, you know, we come together to help one another with medicine and we really know nothing. And yet he was able to preserve my life temporarily 
bring me back from the grave, you know? Mm. And then I, I grew up like most kids, only I was slow and got tired and always in the hospital. And at 13, I got really sick. They thought I was going to die. And that was really when I first started to really cling to this idea of God and what is my purpose and why am I here? And when you are a patient in the hospital as a child, it's true they give you a lot of medication that helps calm you down. Mm-hmm. But when you have parents in a home where, where they're prayerful, mm-hmm. I was so elevated that even though I was going through like, you know, they're going to cut my chest open. My parents are paying for these people to torture me <laughs> so, I, so I can survive. It's like, wow, why do I feel so much love? Mm. And I made it through that major surgery, had another surgery a year later. I was given a pacemaker. Kids at school were like, my grandpa has a pacemaker. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, you know, I, I'm supposed to get him every three years. So maybe by the age of 60, I can decorate my Christmas tree with pacemakers or something. Yeah. Just to, you know, get to the point, I, I discovered music after that surgery. A friend of mine who was perfectly healthy, who played the piano, was hit by a car. And I was devastated. I was in my parents' living room trying to understand why in the world does somebody perfectly healthy, I see them, and then the next day I don't. Mm. They're gone. They've gone home. I don't, I don't understand why I have all these scars and they're fighting to keep me alive. And we're praying, God, that you keep us alive. And then out of nowhere, my friend just dies. This strange irony in life. And I sat at the piano and I pounded away. I was pounding my frustration, my anger, my grief. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And, that, and then I hit a couple notes and the tone and the way I hit it was so gentle and soothing. It's, you know, that feeling when God just pours through you and you just mm-hmm. this warmth and fire and joy and peace. Like, I got you. Everything is okay. I felt that when I was playing those notes and it turned into my first song. Wow. And it was so cool to feel God's spirit that I obsessively sat at the piano to process life, yeah, my purpose in life, and what is God, what, what story here is God writing? Yeah. I think a lot of people resonate with that in some form or another. Like, and that's one of my favorite things about God is that he meets us and speaks to us through different things. Like likely if I at 13 had sat down at a piano, I don't know if I would have heard God. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I was a dancer and I experienced God a lot in the studio when, wow. you know, different things would happen. Or we tend to put God in this functional box that he can speak to us like a certain way. And right. it only looks like that. And life and people's stories just prove over and over. You can't put God in a box. He can speak to you through like banging out a couple of notes on a piano. I love that. It's so true because everyone experiences and encounters him in so many ways. It's like, you know, he, I don't know how many hours he walked to wait at that well Exactly for that one person. He wanted to help this one woman who the apostles at the time would have not even taken the time for. And it took a little bit for her, mm-hmm. but oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what she felt. Right. When and then she knew and recognized because of the things he was saying. So that was a personal one by one experience. And and God, for me, what I've learned 
is that it's a customized curriculum mm. for each of us. And, and he's trying to teach us the things we most need to know. Yeah. Not what we, not, not what we like. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not what we always want because he knows, you know, the future you is before him right now. He knows, he knows. He's the one that put us together. So he's the one that knows how he can reach us the best. (laughs) And why do we try to pigeonhole him into, like, I'm only going to hear God if I am sitting at my dining room table reading my Bible. (laughs) Not that you can't hear and commune with God that way. It's very important, but I'll never, I've told this story on the podcast before, but I will never forget. I grew up a little bit like in a, like a little bit of a legalism background. And so I can remember I was in therapy. I had finally started therapy. I was like 25 and I'm on my way. I'm driving down the interstate. It's a gorgeous day. I have all the windows and like the sunroof open and I'm jamming to Trisha Yearwood because she's my favorite. <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, like yeah. about to like blow out my speakers <laughs> singing at the top of my lungs. So I get to my therapist's office and we're talking about it. And she's like, you're in a great mood. Like what, what's your morning look like? And I was like, yeah. telling her the story. And I was like, I know it should have been worship music, but and she was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. Pump the brakes. She was right. like, I don't think God can like meet you and like be with you. If you're not listening to Christian music, that's like, that's crazy. You felt God in that moment. You felt joy. You felt peace. Like God can use whatever he wants. I remember that opening a whole new world for me of, oh yeah experiencing God. Like I feel God the most when I'm in the mountain, hundred percent. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, yeah. It's a customized situation. And it, and I think too, uh, most often it hits us when we're not expecting it. Oh yeah. You know, my, I took my daughter, her favorite band is queen. She's 16 and, and we, 16 year old ever. Oh, oh, she loves Freddie Mercury. And we talk about his lifestyle quite a bit. And all she wanted to do when we went to England together was just go by his house. And she just was crying mm. by his house because of his life. And then we found out that Queen was in concert. And we went to the concert together, me and my, my, my 16-year-old daughter. You know, Now, keep in mind, had these surgeons not intervened in my life, had God had not created these miracles, she would not probably even exist. Yeah. She'd exist in some other family. And I would not know her. God knows her. And I get to know my daughter by going to this Queen concert and we're singing at the top of our lungs. We are the champions. Yeah. You know, Adam Lambert, the most flamboyant, incredibly talented singer, is there on stage. And through his voice, my daughter and I had a God experience yes. at a Queen concert in England. Yeah. Surrounded by people drinking alcohol. I mean, it was so beautiful because our hearts were in the right place. Exactly. I get some pushback on that sometimes. I think I I posted something the other day about I was at the gym and I like PR'd on deadlift, (laughs) jamming out to Kesha's song, praying, like had tears in my eyes. And I posted something about like church is wherever you want it to be. And people were like, are you, you know, are you saying that the gym can replace church and da, da, da. And I was like, yo, let's, let's take a deep breath. <laughs> I'm saying that worship can happen wherever you want with whatever uh-huh. you want. And uh-huh. another part of that is I love that you said what you said about you got to see your daughter, like just in the fullness of joy 
Mm-hmm. That's how God feels about us. Yes. Yes. And you know, there's so many interesting dynamics in all of it because of Freddie Mercury's lifestyle, Adam Lambert's lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, the church wants to condemn people for lifestyle. And yet my daughter in her innocence as a 16 year old, and this started back when she was 12, was like, man, he did not get loved enough. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. why is everyone beating up on him? And I continually go back to Christ walking all those miles just to interact with one person yeah, to help one person. And uh, she says to me, you know, Jesus would have walked miles. I don't know why I get emotional to tell tell Freddie Mercury. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. You are my child. Even if he rejected him, even if he wanted nothing to do with Jesus, Jesus would have made that walk. Yes. 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 And I mean, we see that exemplified in his life over and over and over. I mean, the woman caught in adultery. Neither do I judge you, but go and sin no more. Like Jesus met people where they were and loved them where they were, but didn't want to see them stay there. But his love just radically changed the trajectory of these people's lives. Like experiencing that kind of love can't help but change. Yes. And I love the phrase, a friend of mine said this once, when we are going through hard times because we have done things that we know are wrong Mm. and we're suffering the consequence of our own actions. We've acted, uh, we've been, we've allowed the adversary to act upon us instead of to act for who we truly are. In that moment, we are in hell Mm. and then Jesus comes and whether it's him through the spirit or through other people, they come and they literally will love the hell out of us. And restore that inner peace and light that we know we're valuable. Yeah. And we're worthy of everything because there's this such this big notion that we're not worthy and you have to do this and this. You coming from legalism. I came from legalism. You have to meet requirements in order to receive reward and blessings. When in reality, it's kind of like, how are we even existing? Right. He he made us. Right. He wants to bless us. And like Corey Asbury sings, recklessly chases after us, tears down the walls to come after us. And so in all those times when I was in the hospital and it was dark and lonely, music would just help me access the divine. Yeah. And feel whole again. I think you use the word restore, and that's really important. I actually just did a deep dive in one of my newsletters about how. Christians tend to get that wrong. Mm. It's very like log versus spec, if you will. We get very hyper fixated on what other people are doing wrong, even if it is like actual sin, black and white sin, which is a whole different conversation. But even if it is sin, scripture is so clear. First of all, the relationship required to speak into that, like strangers on the internet, you don't need to be telling strangers on the internet that you think they're sinning or strangers in your church. And then also it, I think it's in Galatians six about restoring them with kindness. Like you're trying to restore Mm -hmm. them to that peace with God, not like point something out. Like you've gotten this wrong and you see that finger pointing so much within Christian culture and everything we saw Jesus do 
Like Jesus reserved his most harsh conversations for the Pharisee. <laughs> yeah. Those were the guys, you know, you mentioned the woman caught in adultery. She was framed. Mm-hmm. You know, they set her up. These right. guys were in paying her for services and then put her in front of him. And he didn't even think of, of anything she had done. She, it says he stooped down and wrote in the ground, the Apocrypha, even though the Apocrypha is questionable, has a beautiful story of what happened. And if it feels good, you know, I like this. It says that he wrote their names in their sin. Mm. And I don't know if that's reality, but I love that idea because they then, it says, then they left one by one. Yeah. Seniority. They walked out. Like he totally had them. Yeah. And he wasn't announcing their sin like we do of other people. He just wrote it down for them to look at. Exactly. A reminder. He didn't deal with, like he reserved that kind of treatment for people who should have known. Right. Like he didn't deal with people who didn't know him yet that way. Yeah. I think that that's huge. Like as someone with a platform who gets a lot of fingers pointed, I just, I don't have the time for that anymore. Maybe I did at one time but I don't really have the time for that anymore because I'm so aware of the ways that I fall short. Yeah. Uh, we could, we could spend all day here if you want, cause I got plenty to talk about. You know what I mean? You mentioned kind of coming from a legalist background. You actually left the LDS church. Yeah. You know, I, well, you can take the boy out of the LDS church, but you can't take the LDS church out of the boy because I still <laughs> have so much love for the church of Jesus Christ, Flattery States, I was born into it. So mm. it was, it was the, it was the faith of my parents and that faith gave my parents the ability to know how to ask God to preserve my life. Right. And God was faithful in those things. What, and I was very involved and I preached it and I, I loved it with all of my heart after that third surgery. Years went by and then I needed a heart transplant. You know, God says to change your heart. So I, I took that very literally. <laughs> when you get the heart of another person, you receive somebody else's muscle memory and, and the heart carries within it memory DNA, muscle memory DNA. And so there are things that were happening in my life that I did not understand why I was behaving this way or doing this or doing that why I'm depressed, why I have anxiety. And the heart changed me in, a, in such a way that even my own mom thought, you know, he's different. He's not mm. the same person. And of course, you're not going to be because you had half a heart all your life. And then you get a normal heart. It's like I was driving grandpa's truck and now I have a Porsche. Right. I have to go through like the puberty thing all over again, hormones and increase of everything. And, and so my, you know, when Peter Parker got bit by the spider, he didn't at first just become Spider-Man. He had to go through the dark Spider-Man tragedy was I, I, my marriage fell apart and I, I wanted that church to help me fix that marriage. And the, the only advice I was getting was, well, you're just going to have to work harder mm. and you need to do this and this and this and this. And there was no talk of Jesus healing me. Mm. And so I was in such a bad place. I was confused, but I stayed faithful. I continued to remain faithful. And I know you have a lot of listeners who are in the LDS church. And for me, I was seeking healing. 
I needed to be healed. And I was doing everything on the list. I was reading the scriptures. I was praying. I was serving. I was buried so deep, spreading myself so thin, speaking to congregations. But I had started listening to Christian music and I was led to Nashville. I had met my, my wife, uh, both, both, both uh, my, my, my ex-wife and I got remarried. And the girl that I married, she was Catholic. And then she worked for Rick Warren at Saddleback Church in California. And so I was exposed to that world. And at first I was like, these people are crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, everything's too easy. Right. Yeah. Why do they feel so free and light? There's just, that's not right. You know? And we need to double down and we need to really roll up our sleeves and get into working and saving souls and, and gathering everybody together. And there was just this relaxation that life yeah. is beautiful and good. I decided I would start reading the Bible just more inten intensely. I'd read it like four or five times. I'd been on an LDS mission, served, yeah. taught the Bible, went to, went to seminary theology school at BYU. Mm -hmm. So it was all within the context of, of that. And for me, I was asking the Lord to heal me. I need to be healed. I need to be forgiven of some sins that are bothering me and I need to be healed. And it just wasn't happening there. I remember running on the treadmill, screaming. I was so angry. Mm. It's like, God, why has this all happened to me? And to put it in perspective, I had, I had kind of been a performer. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You know, you feel like, okay, I'm not going to let anybody know I have these things bothering me. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do, smile, because I wanted to believe it so much. I just remember yelling and screaming at the top of my lungs, Lord, I've been told over and over again by my Christian friends, even though I think Mormons are Christian, Christian friends, that if I pray and invite you into my heart, that there will be a change. Hmm. And I said, I don't know, but I'm asking if that is how it is supposed to be. Come into my heart. Hmm. Like you went into the temple and you destroyed and threw out all the people that weren't supposed to be there doing yes. what they were doing. They were supposed to be there. They just weren't supposed to be selling. Right. I'm making a profit off the, the God. And it was after that, that I just didn't care. <laughs> I felt like, oh my gosh, I love God so much. I love my savior so much. He not only gave me this beautiful life, he gave me my children. He gave me these experiences. You know, he gave me my, my, my beautiful, the first wife that I had. And, the, and now that I went through that valley of Nineveh, the hard hell of divorce, he's given me this new beautiful person. Uh, to be married to. He's given me music. He's given me, I mean, I literally, I was just the worst. Mm. And I became just so filled with love. And it was love that wasn't bound by, well, you're not a member of this church. Mm. It was bound by the planet earth is my home. Yeah. Yeah. And I was free to love people without any rules. And so I had prosperity gospel. I had read um, a lot of Timothy Keller and the prosperity gospel was something I just wasn't done with. Mm -hmm. the legalistic 
prosperity gospel. If, if LDS people are listening and they, they don't know what the prosperity gospel is, there's a great book by Timothy Keller called The Prodigal Son, The Prodigal, Prodigal God. Yep. That really changed my mind. And I'm well-read. Like I've read C.S. Lewis. I've read Spurgeon. I've yeah. read everything ever written and published by Joseph Smith, who founded the Mormon church. But for me, it comes down to the four gospels. Mm. Yeah. And the four gospels, I got, I got into the Septuagint. I got into the Codex Vaticanus. I got into the early stuff. I wanted to be sure. And I was going on truth over feeling. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to feel. Right. Uh, but you need to know facts. You need to know truth. And things need to add up correctly. Yeah. And then the feelings are more real. So in case you missed it, I wrote a book, <laughs> like a full blown cover to back book, Confessions of a Crappy Christian. The book is real life talk about the things Christians aren't sure they're supposed to say. It's like the podcast and my Instagram times a thousand. Inside, I dive into things like mental health, being a fiery woman from within the church, friendship breakups, and more from the perspective of my life and how God has moved. So you can find out more and pre-order if you would like at crappychristianco.com slash book. Pre-orders matter a lot in the book world, and we have some awesome incentives coming your way, so that would really mean the world. I have used essential oils for as long as I can remember. My parents even used them when I was younger. But as I've gotten older, I've struggled with some of the price points of some of the bigger oil companies. Enter Simply Earth, where every batch of oils are sourced from small, ethical farms, GCMS tested for purity and composition, and 13% of profits go directly to fighting human trafficking. My favorite part is that you can get high quality oils for a price that doesn't break your budget. If you use the link in the show notes and the code BLAKEFREE, you can get a free $40 gift card after your first purchase. So get started today with non-toxic swaps by checking out Simply Earth. Okay, let's get back to the show. Well, they kind of follow, yeah. I find. They'll follow, but fact won't follow feeling is the problem. If I let my feelings lead, facts aren't going to naturally come along with. Yeah. And I resonate with kind of your, your treadmill crisis. I think a lot of people coming out of legalistic backgrounds and then experiencing grace, mm -hmm. and meeting Jesus, yeah, have this kind of crisis, which is why the gospel is offensive, right? The gospel is offensive in that we in our human nature think that we can, like you said, perform and make everything okay. And the gospel is like, actually... There's kind of nothing you can do, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. That, that if you grew up being taught that this list of things brought you near to God or had to be done to be worthy, and then you have that flipped on its head, that causes like crisis. And yeah, I love that you're sharing that story because people I've had conversations with people in the past who have that crisis and think that it's a crisis of faith. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're, this is faith. Like this is, you're, you're getting there. You're at yeah. the, the summit or whatever, like keep going, watch what God does through that. Cause, and like you said, you get to the other side 
and you're so much more capable of loving people and yourself and God and yes. experiencing his goodness. When I was in the hospital and having those near-death experiences, you have to understand that my entire spiritual experience, because it was a spirit, deeply spiritual experience, it wasn't just feeling, it was truth. Jesus was working a miracle. However, in those moments, it was so connected and tied to the community of Mormonism because everybody was involved. And this is where I struggle because by their fruits, you shall know them. The Christianity, Christian behavior of the LDS culture that I was part of, the church comes to you during the week. You don't have to necessarily go to the church. And yet there are these all these requirements in order to, I guess, be saved in the highest degree mm -hmm. of glory in order to, to you know, get the, all this joy that you're supposed to have. But when in reality, most Latter-day Saints are not very joyful, they're waiting for a day to be right. joyful, but that right. joy comes now. And it wasn't until I finally resigned and let go and accepted baptism. And I got baptized in a cow trough, yeah. which was so offensive to my family. And, and that hurts my feelings. But at the same time, Jesus was born in a manger by the cow trough. And I was not baptized into one denomination or something. Yeah. Like I was baptized into the church. And the church is anyone who is a believer of Amen. Jesus Christ and accepts to publicly declare that through baptism. In that faith, I had spiritual experiences. And LDS people will have profound spiritual experiences. Mm -hmm. And I believe that is in an effort to lead you to where you separate everything that's clouding the main, I mean, the name of the church is Church of Jesus Christ. So it needs right. to be, he needs to be the center and focus. And so if you're following those spiritual promptings, everything you're getting, continue to focus on just Jesus and him and him alone. Yeah. I mean, he's chasing you down recklessly. He wants you. Right. And he wants you to be happier. You know, you were kind of talking about the community aspect. I think that that can be very dependent on your experience. We, True. you know, and the church that you're in and the community that you're in. We've been in yeah. community. We had my oldest daughter had a near death experience when she was like 13 months old. That waiting room was packed. Mm. The people showed up. I mean, we mm -hmm. had my pastor, my parents' pastor, like my childhood pastor, all of our friends, like, holding hands in a circle around her, her hospital bed, praying yeah. over her, you know? So, but at the same time, I know that there are people who haven't had that experience. I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by people within the church. So I think yeah. it's, I do think that, you know, it's a give and take of, are we perfect at it? No. Could we be better at it? Yes. But I do think we see that show up. Maybe we just don't talk about it as much. Benjamin Hastings wrote the lyric, it's not a building he wants, it's our hearts. Exactly. And the church is not a building, it's relationship. It's a relationship with God. And we're to take that relationship to the building, which is the community. Exactly. And it's the only point of having the building is so that we can gather, we can take communion, I love communion. Not all churches do it. It's not necessary, completely necessary, according to some people. I love it. Yeah, me too. 
I love a, a, a ritual because there's, there's psychologists will tell you, this is why so many people are, it's hard to get out of legalistic religions is yeah. because the rituals, you have that oh, muscle 100%. memory that keeps you in and, and you think, oh my gosh, if I don't do this, you know, it's like abstaining from, for you, you know, abstaining from alcohol or tobacco right. or, you know, I didn't drink coffee for a very long time. Yeah. Even though my transplant team was like, you can, you need to drink coffee. It's got polyphenols. It's going to help your liver. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I don't want to go to hell. So, <laughs> right. but then we get to the point where it's coffee and Jesus. And I go, how come that coffee is always above Jesus on those t-shirts? Why can't we just say Jesus? And then on the back, coffee keeps me awake or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we love those. We have, we yeah. like to, you can't serve two masters, but um, whatever keeps you awake to worship. I think we have to keep in perspective that when we can free ourselves if we can allow God to free our minds of the fact that the church is wherever you make it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we feel like we have to belong to a specific community. And Rick Warren uh, said, look, the bottom line, if you go to a church, you got to plug yourself in. Mm -hmm. You got to get involved. LDS church just made it easy because the minute you get there, they give you an assignment. <laughs> And then you get so many assignments, you're like, oh, I don't have time to take you on a date, honey. Right. Because I've got to take care of my young men. So sorry. And then it gives men an excuse to, to gather at the church and the good old boys. And meanwhile, the moms are home. Drowning. Slave, slaving away. Right. I think that happens in a lot of churches. I, well, I was going to say, I don't think that that's exclusive to LDS. No. At it's all. Jewish, it's Jewish. Yeah. It's everything. It's, it's yeah. But I think at the same time. I love what you said about just church being where you are. You know, we have gotten plugged in at a church locally and we love it and we serve. And also we have made really good friendships. And so we, you know, it could be a Thursday night and we're all sitting on the back porch talking and I just, I am a nerd. And so I'm just always like, this is church. This is church. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you think about it, that's what the early church looked like. Mm -hmm. Just people gathering in their homes. And I'm all for going to a building. I'm all for corporate worship. I'm all for learning under, you know, biblical solid teachers and the mm -hmm. community aspect that comes from it. But there's just something about where two or more are gathered. You know what I mean? Like I have very little interest in religion, to be totally honest. I, yeah. I people are like, what denomination are you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> well, did Jesus did Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, uh, interesting enough, was observant of, of the church that was considered the true church at the time, which was the Jewish faith. Right. He observed everything, the, right. the, the festival of lights, everything, the feast of the tabernacle. He observed it all. Right. And then he created and initiated the communion. And the only thing we know of him organizing anything was, hey, let's have a supper together. I'm going to give you communion. And take this so you can remember me. And tell you to love each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. And then the guys after he left were like, oh man, what do we do? Yeah. You know, let's go fishing. Yeah. And then he comes back and for 40 days teaches them. And we have no real idea of what he was teaching them. He may have taught them at that time how to gather, but it was, it was a while before, you know, in the book of Acts where they started to gather and they tried different things like sharing everything. Right which failed miserably. Uh, the couple that I call me the, the Olsons from the little house on the prairie couple that would just hold a little back. Yep. And yeah. So these, 
church experiences, the bottom line, Jesus, that was not his focus. Right. His focus was basically letting you know, I got you. I love you. I have a tone for you. If you feel like a, a thief on the cross, you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah. So don't get hung up too much on what these these scholars and these people trying to convince you their way in this way and the highway. Yeah. Just come to me. Yeah. His focus was people. Yeah. And like his message and his mission were love. And you said something earlier about kind of experiencing Christianity and being like, why is this so easy? Like, why is this so relaxing? And that's not to say that there aren't like there, we are guaranteed that there are going to be hard parts of the Christian life and the Christian walk. The beautiful part is we don't shoulder them alone. You know, we have other people who bear our burdens and we're yoked with Jesus, but I just can remember that like same exact kind of like, Oh, okay. Okay. I I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. He's okay with me. My legalistic legalistic background was very like mad God. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, I'm still 13 years in un- like find myself like, Hey, he's not mad at you. And not only does he love you, he likes you and he thinks he yeah. did a pretty good job. And you know, that you're just, I think I'll probably be undoing that stuff for the rest of my life. It's just an amazing thing. Once you come to the realization that he loves you and, and, and trusts you, mm. he yeah. trusts you, you know, he, he believes in you. And when we start to think of, at least for me, when I start to think, oh my gosh, I'm the worst mm. and I am so unworthy. And I just, I get, oh man. Why do I think the way I think and behave the way I behave? I'm just an idiot. And then I go, you know what? Don't do that. You are totally underestimating the value of his atonement, Bridge. his sacrifice. And yeah, there's just not that pressure. The pressure was put on him. Yes. And the pressure of the olive press is not on us. And so we just have to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you would do this. Yeah. That's what I love the concept of like you're worth what you were paid for. Yeah. I was yeah. Paid for. I was paid for with like the life of Christ. And you'll never pay him back. So why no. are we beating ourselves up over paying him back? One thing I'd love from when I was growing up, there was a, a leader who who said, obedience is the greatest gift mm. you could give the Lord. And that flows through us naturally because I mean, some of yeah. us have legit new hearts but we do have new hearts, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's not even something that we have to like muster up that obedience and that righteousness. Like we have everything we need. Yeah, We just get to walk in it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, and you know, the media loves to obsess over the fact that the church, they say the church is in decline, you know, 80% less attending the church. I think it's never been there's never been more believers of Christ. Yeah. They're just, we're, we're just not aggressively attending because we've, Jesus has, is, has, is exposing legalism yeah. for what it is. The internet has given believers access to know what's going on behind the scenes, how churches were organized, mm-hmm. what was, what was going on, the history. And it's, it's alarming and disturbing. Yeah. You know, the whole Protestant reformation is a result of, people being aware of the offenses that the church exactly in Rome was doing. And so God began liberating his people 
Yes. I agree with you. I think we're seeing that like, yeah, maybe, maybe church attendance is down and this is going to be wildly unpopular, but I'm like, is that always (laughs) a bad thing? Like if church attendance is down, there are some churches that I'm like, yeah, I want to see your, I want to see your attendance decline. (laughs) Like if I'm being totally honest. Uh, I, you know, my question for pastors and I've listen, I have no experience in Protestant churches. I I've, I've attended several. I love these people. I love these pastors, but pastors will say, listen, we have a vision for the next 200 years and we want to build a building and I'll go to lunch with the pastor. You know, I want to involve, I want to, I want to contribute. I want to help. And God's been good to me. I want to bless the church. And I, you know, we talk about the other church in the community. Okay. So you guys have this vision for what you want for this community. Meanwhile, there's this other church down the street who has the same vision. Why can't pastors meet with other pastors and merge into one body? And maybe this is completely unpopular. This is just where I'm coming from. Like, Yeah, we're on the same team. We're all on the same team. You go to a Christian worship concert and everybody from all kinds of walks of life come. And, you know, when I was at the gospel, the year I won a a Dove Award, I was amazed by the conversation on the stage of the recording artists. They're like, I think this is the only place where we all come through the music and there's no discussion of who's right and who's wrong because we're just here to love the Lord and have through the music, the Lord love us. And so my question is, why can't pastors and pastors, if you're listening, have you considered merging? Or at minimum, joining forces. Join Well, there are alliances. We've formed alliances. You know, this is like the, yeah. the Lord of the Rings, the adventure mm-hmm. to go to. But I, I just, I wonder if there's a way to, to unite. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's been done before. I, I don't know. I just, I just think we tend to divide by saying this is our vision and that's their vision. I wish there was a way to just put all that aside and just gather. Yeah. You know, the way Billy Graham used to gather people. You yes. know, he had his church, but it, we never knew what the name of the church was. Right. We just knew he had people at a stadium and he recommitted them to Lord. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I, we have wishful a, thinking. Right. My husband and I have a lot of conversations about just kind of like, why does this look the way that it does? Or like, how could it look different or better? Or I have a tendency to kind of like, you know, in my yeah. sleep wonderful, calm husband is like, tell him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, right. But I went on one the other day where I was like, I wonder if Jesus would show up in America in 2022 and be like, what have you done? Oh, what have you done? Like, right. There's a song by a girl on TikTok. I wish I knew her name, but she sings this song. It's this beautiful folk song. What if Jesus were to come into church today? And see all the and the ne- the neon lights and the smoke and you know would he would he recognize yeah his church he would recognize his people yes but would he recognize or would he be like hey you guys there's yeah. a there's an exit over there if you want to just you know uh, we'll we're going to the park yeah <laughs> yeah and it's not like I'm not trying to like dunk on the church like, yeah I'm not trying to dunk on your church if they have lights and smoke and all of that kind of stuff. My church does it sometimes. I get it. But I think we have to at least be willing to have these conversations. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Right. 
we're just spilling out ideas. I'm completely satisfied going into any particular church. I think the bottom line is we're trying to get people in. We're trying to get people in so we can teach them. Right. And so, so often, most people will go to a bar and a bar will be, have the flashy lights and the loud music. And so we're finding ways to create yeah. buildings. And so there's that angle as well. And we have to be, I think, respectful of what people are doing. You know, I think of friends at Reach Records, you know, Lecrae and Andy Minio and all those guys, their rap music, you know, they get beat up so much for what they're doing, but they're taking the gospel to the streets. Yeah, exactly. And it's done in a way where they understand it. Yeah. No, I completely agree. It is like kind of a double-edged sword of like, why does a Christian concert have to be boring and dumb if I can go to a Garth Brooks concert and have the time of my life? Exactly. Well, Garth Brooks. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, leave him alone. I want to see Garth and Lecrae do it. Let's see. What would that be? That would be be very interesting. (laughs) It'd be like, oh, We just had a Garth Brooks concert in Tiger Stadium. Oh. I'm not, it was amazing. You know, so I, it is, it's like this both and thing. And I mm-hmm. think what it comes down to is the heart behind it. Like, is the heart behind it, look at me? Yep. Or is the heart behind it, like, let's make this something people want to come to? <laughs> it is 2022. It's not too, you know, 200 BC. Yeah, I think it goes back to what I said at the very beginning, where I think, you know, it's a customized curriculum. And right. so there are going to be, churches that appeal to one particular group and God is inspiring one pastor to do this and one pastor to do that. And all of us who judge and, and go, well, that's different. That's not, you know, look, I, I grew up in a church that everybody points at and says, man, they're weird. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know God. I found God in that church, but I found freedom uh, in a church that I thought, that I thought in, in, a Christianity, a biblical Christianity that I thought was like <laughs> falling short yeah, of the glory. And, and so bottom line, you know, what I'm learning from this conversation is, is we just need to be respectful and go, you know what, they are in that church right now. And that's, I have, my job is to be the best Christian I can be and not go, how come you're over there? Yeah. Like, like God do his job. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like I said, I think that we can have these conversations. I don't think either of us are like saying one thing is wrong and one thing is right. I think it's an interesting conversation to have and to unpack that a lot of people are too uncomfortable to have because they're like, I don't want to touch that. (laughs) But at the same time, I think if you can come at it from a place of humility and say like, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what, I don't know what's necessarily right. We're just kind of, you and I are saying a lot of things that I'm sure people listening are like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I've thought Mm -hmm. of that before. You know what I mean? They thought about it and they're like, oh, what are you saying? This is crappy. Right. That's exactly. right. Crappy. crappy. Yes. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome. That's what we do here. It's so awesome. I love it. Oh, Paul, thank you so much for such a great conversation. This was so good. My pleasure. It's fun chatting with you. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.